name is Selva Kulichelvin, and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas, and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. It's true, I could be one more suicide So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family needs... Um, good day and welcome to Refugee Radio. I'm here with um, Elaine Pearson, the Australia Director of Human Rights Watch. Hello, Elaine. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Happy to be here. So, can you um, so tell me a little bit about your work? So, you've done you've just done a um, a big study from last year on the guys in Manus and Nauru. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I visited Manus Island twice. We've also put out a report on Nauru. Um, but my last visit uh, was in September, just before the main centre closed. Um, and what we really noticed was a lot of tension um, there between locals and between the refugees. Um, and that was because there had been a spate of violent attacks, uh, not by, I would say, sort of a cohort of young men uh, on Manus, and I should say, you know, many of the Manusians have actually been extremely hospitable and friendly to the refugees, but there is certainly a group, you know, of, of young men who see the refugees as quite uh, vulnerable, easy targets, they know that they carry mobile phones and money, um, and so we documented these series um, of attacks, and, you know, in some cases they were extremely serious. One guy in broad daylight, 10 o'clock in the morning, um, was injured uh, with a machete at his elbow because he hesitated in handing over his phone. Another guy um, at the supermarket um, was hit over the head with um, an iron bar um, and another guy was slashed at the wrist. So, you know, really quite serious cases and we also documented really the delays and denial um, of healthcare to, to refugees uh, on Manus Island. So this is, this is your visit in September mm -hmm. um, last year and since then a, a lot of... Um Asylum seekers detained on there have, um, well, not a lot, but a few have gone to the U.S., mm -hmm. um, been resettled over there. What do you think is going to happen to the people who are left behind? What, what's, what are their um, options now? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think, you know, every time another plane load of people depart for the U.S., it's really bittersweet. I mean, the guys are happy for their friends, yeah. but they're also extremely stressed and panicked that they are going to be left, left behind, behind and forgotten yeah. about. And just a few days ago, actually, I got a, a Facebook message um, from a Sri Lankan refugee who told me that he'd just been rejected from the United States. And it's devastating because, you know, these people have endured so much resort. Yeah. Exactly, for five years. And I think they were really pinning all their hopes um, on going to the U.S., and, you know, for those who have gone, um, you know, one of the refugees who I interviewed, Imran, uh, he's a 23-year-old Rohingya from Myanmar, excellent English. He'd written, you may have read some of the press articles that he's written for the Saturday paper and 
um, for the age. You know, he has really struggled in Chicago uh, because life's tough. And I mean, they've lived five years in a very militarized um, existence. And so even for someone who I think has a bit more skills and and, and stuff, it's it's still not easy for them to adjust uh, to, to life in the U.S. But obviously, culture shock. Exactly. Freedom yeah. shock. <laughs> Freedom just, shock. Even just little things like getting yeah. around, how to catch a bus, how to catch the subway. It's quite scary yeah. suddenly being, you know, and they're, they're dumped in not the nicest part of U.S. Mm. cities. Like Chicago can be quite rough. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's going to take a while, the coping strategies and frankly, also the mental health. I mean, the depression, the anxiety that a lot of these guys have faced that doesn't disappear overnight, uh, just because they're, they're moved, um, somewhere else. And I think there's also, frankly, a lot of guilt about the people left behind. that they've left behind yes. because they know that their brothers are still there. They've formed these amazing bonds together because they've been through so much. And I think they feel guilty. Like why? Is it that I was chosen and yet, you know, my friends are, are still suffering? We do hear that all the time. My friend Reza, um, I did a conference with him once and at the very end of the interview, someone asked him, how, how do you feel you're free now? And he said, I cannot enjoy it. My brothers are still in there. So it, it, it happens a lot. Is it like, um, it's almost like survivor's guilt in some way. Not that the other person's died, but still they're, they're better off than their friends and I guess they imagined all leaving there together too. Exactly. And I think it's also, you know, for those who are on Manus, you know, they live through their mobile phones. They live through social media. They are obsessed with, you know, what is happening. Some of them were sort of more informed about the Australian news. Even before I would pick up stories, they would send me, you know, breaking news um, stories. So I think there's that element that's still going on. They're still in contact uh, with their friends, you know, using WhatsApp. And so that hasn't Facebook. changed. That yeah, internet at, world at all hasn't hours. changed. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, and I think it's just hard for them to kind of completely disassociate and, and cut themselves off from that. Um, and then there are others, you know, there was um, an, an Afghan guy who I interviewed who'd had quite serious health problems on Manus. And I mean, he doesn't speak any English at all. Um, and I, I do kind of worry, you know, about him. He's in, in, in Atlanta. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to take some time. Do they have support frankly. there? They have limited support. Okay. So I think for the first three months or so, they get their accommodation provided. Mm -hmm. But often it's just like a one-bedroom apartment that they share with another refugee. Um, and then there is this expectation after that that they will pay for that apartment themselves. Do the um, do any like charity groups know that they're around? Like and maybe can provide some yeah. support for them. There, so there. Um, I mean, there are sort of the existing groups like uh, the International Rescue Committee okay, that yeah. have been providing a bit of support. But there's also a really great initiative that you may have heard of, Adds Up, um, and they are Australians oh, in really? the United States. And they are basically expats and they feel, you know, very sad and guilty about our government's policy. And when they heard that these um, refugees are coming to the U.S., they wanted to be able to help. So they actually provide an amazing support network. You should definitely interview them. How interesting. Them yeah, I've never program. even heard that. That's so cool. Yes, yeah. please, please. That would be fantastic. So it was started uh, yeah. by a couple of people, Fleur and Ben, out of New York. Uh, Fleur is, yeah, a good friend of mine. Um, but they have, you know, this amazing network. And so when they find out that a refugee has just arrived, um, they will pair them up with an Aussie and then they will go out together. They'll That's share so a meal. Sweet. And it's just basically I for them to have an initial, that. like a friend and yeah. someone to, to support them. So, I mean, I think that's oh, a really nice. nice. 
Uh, it's really amazing how we are quite embarrassed about our government, but there are so many people that, that we can be proud of in this country too, people like that. That's awesome. Exactly. And I think it just shows you what, you know, people often wonder, what can I do? Is there anything that I can yeah. do? And, you know, this is the like, strangest yeah, things, like practical that. Yeah, support. That's amazing. Um, so if you know anyone in the US, you know, you can encourage them to get in touch with AdSup and okay. check out the website. Yep. If anyone's listening, how, how do you spell it? Um, so it's AdSup. I think it's just a... D S and then hyphen U P or something. Oh, if, you, if, you okay, Google, okay. if you Google it, you'll yeah. you'll find out. The All right. Anyone listening it. in? Um, yeah, if you want to check that out, have friends in the US, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, so, what do you think is the way forward? So, firstly, we we do still have people obviously on Manus and Nauru. Oh, do you know what is going on with the the kids mm -hmm. in Nauru at the moment? I know there is this, there is this big campaign at the moment about the kids in Nauru, and were they saying that? New Zealand was trying to help with that and trying to take some of them. Or? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's great that there's been this, you know, really explosive campaign and that it's involved a lot of different sectors and even getting, you know, doctors and celebrities and all sorts of people. I think it just shows how the Australian public are, quite frankly, really fed up with this. And even those who may have initially supported offshore processing because they felt like we needed you know, to do something to protect our borders, they didn't sign up for people five years later to be still stuck in these horrible conditions. So I think that's why we're starting to see, you know, a bit of traction on this campaign. Um, look, I, you know, this government has been so intractable and unwilling to budge on these issues. I feel like they've just painted themselves totally into a corner where they don't, they haven't given themselves any yes. room to move. Um, but, you know, I hope that they think about this logically and realize that, you know, it actually would make a lot of sense, for instance, for, you know, a country like New Zealand um, that is offering to help alleviate this situation, that that would actually be an, an easy way out um, for Australia, an acceptable solution. My dad always actually said something interesting about that. He always said that when you're in a fight with someone, give them a way out that makes them keep their dignity. Yeah. And, and exactly. I always thought about that and thought about how hard that would be, but that's exactly right. Like in this situation, you're giving them a way out without them losing face as, as you know, um, my Chinese dad calls it losing face. Yes. Um, yep. And I think that that's a, that's a great idea. They're, they're still not letting them on the shores like they promised they would, they wouldn't. Um, so yeah, the New Zealand, hopefully, have you heard any, their response to New Zealand? I have, I mean, to be honest, I've been out of the country for the last oh, yeah. 10 days or so, so Same. I have <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to come home and see what see what's happened. A lot can happen in three weeks. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, in in your opinion, you you you've done this for such a long time now. In your opinion, um, like this regarding the current government situation and everything, what do you see as the way forward for Australia with this migration, um, what they call migration issue? Um, in your mind, have you ever thought of you know what would really work? I think. I think we should do this. What would that solution be? Well, look, I mean, the Refugee Convention um, happened for a reason, and it happened because people said never again after what happened with World War Two. They were like, we have to prevent this from happening. And so I think we really have to go back to those international principles and respect those principles and not just pay lip service to them and then absolutely deny them. I mean, I think, you know, practically there are a bunch of things that Australia could do. I think it's good that Australia does take, you know, a, a you know, significant number of people resettlement from camps, but that doesn't absolve Australia of its obligations to people who do arrive on its shores. So, you know, one thing that Australia could do 
you know, it spends billions of dollars on offshore processing. Why not put that money into the countries that people transit through, like Indonesia, like Malaysia, set up transit centers where people can get processed, um, allow the people to have the right to work, allow their kids to go to school while they're waiting in Indonesia and Malaysia. Um, because quite frankly, I think a lot of people would be prepared to wait if they knew that there was a system in place. That was it's, fair. Yeah. That was fair. And if they could if they could work, if their kids could go to school. But, you know, the reason why a lot of people ended up getting on boats is because, you know, they'd been in Indonesia for two years, for three years. They kept getting put in detention. They kept having to bribe their way out of detention. Um, and they were worried that their kids weren't getting an education or they were worried that, you know, someone in the family was sick. Um, so I think there's a whole bunch of things that Australia could do that would also, you know, deter people from getting on boats. No one wants to get on boats and risk their lives taking that journey. Um, but there needs to be some alternative. So we need to provide safe pathways of migration because the reality is looking around the world, what's happening in the Middle East, what's just happened to the Rohingya last year in Myanmar, um, people have to flee these situations. And so it's about making the situation also better in the neighboring countries uh, where people are seeking sanctuary. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot that Australia could do on those issues. Um, and frankly, also taking a bigger role in trying to, I guess, alleviate um, some of these problems in countries that people are fleeing from. So, you know, with the and Rohingya not crisis... To them. Exactly. Yeah. So with the Rohingya crisis, put a bit of pressure on the Myanmar government to accept the Rohingya as citizens to ensure that they get justice for all of these atrocities that have happened to them. And, you know, you speak to any Rohingya in, you know, those camps in Bangladesh, they all want to return home, but they want to return home and they want to be safe. Um, so, you know, I think you need to listen to the voices of the refugees and the migrants, and from there you will easily be able to dissolve your solutions. There's two points um, um, from that that I'd like to, to point out. One is that the current government claims that the reason why they're doing this is because they care about deaths at sea. Um, and if we follow this, this path that you are now talking about, they will genuinely be doing that. If we genuinely cared about deaths at sea, we would be doing that. We would be setting up um, transit centers in those countries because we actually cared and we were not just being hypocritical about it. Um, so, so exactly, yeah. yeah. No, so I and I mean, I think really good. what is the point of saving lives at sea if you are only going to make people suffer in misery on land? Like it, it just yeah, it, it doesn't make sense, right? It's either that, it's either we'll detain them until they go mentally insane, or we will make them die somewhere else. Like it, we can't, we can't say we care about them dying at sea if we're happy for that those two, two other things to happen to them. No, and I mean, I think mm. you know the government has been trotting out this tired line yes. about how it's a humanitarian gesture. Maybe Maybe in the past, like that worked, but you know, I don't think that people really believe that now. There are other ways. If you really cared about mm -hmm. saving lives at sea, you would yeah. send a boat and you would collect people so that yeah. they wouldn't have to take yeah. those journeys. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, that that isn't the approach that the government takes. And so I think you know we need to be careful to maintain our criticism um, of these policies and not let them get away with propagating these myths. And I think being here in Europe. Um, I am concerned that a number of right-wing politicians are talking with admiration about the Australian model. They are, it, in Italy and Germany. Exactly, yeah. Italy, Germany, Austria. Um, so after this conference, I will be travelling uh, to Berlin and will be having a number of meetings with politicians um, and also with the German Foreign Ministry to explain 
how you know the Australian model really just leads to misery and suffering, um, and it's a horrible human experiment gone wrong. I mean, you know, I don't think any government should be considering a policy that is so cruel and that really relies on um, people being, you know, subjected to you know a long litany of human rights violations in order to save you know some others um, from that. You know, it's it's not acceptable under human rights law to sacrifice one set of people for another, and yet that is exactly what the Australian government is doing. Did you find that, because um, this, this is one thing that I found talking to people in Europe about the refugee crisis, that when I tell them about um, what the Australian government is doing, they are very shocked by it. Um, and I, I kind of, being so far away from it now and looking back to, at Australia from this point, um, it kind of feels that we've normalised it in, in our, we've normalised our cruelty in our, in our country and we don't see how crazy it actually is. And coming out of that and looking back, we, we, all, and when, you, when you see everyone being shocked about it, you're like, yeah, you know what? It is crazy. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of fatigue and exhaustion yeah, around this issue. Yeah, and so fair. I think for a lot of Australians, they don't want to think about it. And, you know, it's convenient not to think about it. It's easy not to think about it because these people are far, far away in Papua New Guinea um, and in Nauru. And people think, well, you know, what is the solution? If they can come back, are the boats going to start again? And so, you know, I think I think that's been a bit the the problem in Australia. Okay. Um, but you know, in in Greece, um, you know, the number of boats that they've been having that is a real situation of, of crisis proportions. But you know, in Australia, it never was a crisis. It was only a crisis One boat um, that was stirred up, yeah, you know, by. <laughs> Uh, you know, by really the Murdoch tabloids that were trying to portray this as an invasion. If you look at the numbers, actually, they were really not that significant, mm -hmm. given the fact that there are 65 million people displaced around the world, mm -hmm. and the vast majority of those, um, you know, asylum seekers and refugees and displaced, you know, they never even leave their own country. They get displaced within their country or, or the border to an, of Turkey, yeah. neighboring country. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lebanon, Turkey. These are countries that are really facing a crisis. Australia, no, we were never facing a crisis. The other thing I thought um, you made a good point about just then was um, talking about uh, what life is like for them in Indonesia or those mm -hmm. places that are transit areas. That's something I think that we forget about. Um, we, we talk a lot about them on Manus. We talk a lot about them in the community um, and their and from their home country, but we've like we forget a lot about that transit time where the, even the places where they're at, the people there don't want them there as well and the struggles that they go through while they're waiting. And the, um, in, I read the book, um, Beruza's book, um, mm -hmm. the one that everyone's talking about at the moment, No Friend But The Mountains, yeah. and he talks about um, his life. I think it is in Indonesia. Yeah. Um, and I maybe that's something that, that um, activists need to talk about more um, as an introduction to, to, to the solution, what we should be doing instead. Yeah, I mean, in Malaysia, there are a lot, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of, you know, Rohingya, but also Kachin and Shan and, you know, many people from Myanmar, um, but also people who fled from other situations. And the government has, you know, this policy of, you know, when they feel like they want to put the squeeze on, uh, they'll round them up, they'll put them in detention centres, you know, in some cases they'll send them back. Uh, but in other cases, they're quite willing to allow these people to work in the black economy 
Um, but it means those people have absolutely zero protection. And they get exploited, I was just going exactly. to say, because weren't so their bodies where... found in, in um, the forest in Malaysia at That's one right. point? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have certainly documented the trafficking um, and exploitation of Rohingya migrants. In some cases, the women get sold onto brothels, the men get sold onto fishing boats, um, and there's been massive exploitation. So it's also about actually creating solutions um, in a country like Malaysia so that these people have opportunities to work because clearly there's work there. Mm. Um, they wouldn't be going there if, if that wasn't the case. Uh, but these people need to have basic rights and basic protection. And it's also part of the dignity, um, letting them, like, giving them the opportunity to work and not just handing out stuff which everyone complains about and say they're coming to get handouts when actually they want to retain that dignity they want to work they want to support themselves and their own and their children exactly no and i mean i think you know thailand has experimented from time to time i mean in thailand there is something like more than a million undocumented migrants and from time to time they go through this registration process where they say if you're a migrant from Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia, you can register, you can get a health card, and then that will guarantee you certain rights. Um, but I think the problem with that is it's been very much through a sort of migrant control lens, so that then at the end of the registration period, at the end of six months or a year, they can then you know, be able to send the people back. Um, but I think you know, we need to look at solutions that are a bit longer lasting, uh, particularly for people who are fleeing uh, situations of persecution and aren't migrant workers. Now, I forgot to ask you this at the start, but what, what got you interested in, in this whole thing? You've spent so many years of your life working on, on things like this, on refugees, on, on trafficking, on, um, you know, just, just on a personal note, what, what got you started doing oh. this? Well, I mean, I guess it's funny. I probably have Pauline Hansen to thank, and that's probably not what many of you would expect to hear. Um, but you may remember back in the 90s when she was first a politician, instead of targeting Muslims, Asians were her target. Um, and, you know, my mother is from Singapore, I'm half Asian. And so, you know, really, I felt very personally attacked by this and upset and angry. And it was the first time as a student that I'd ever joined any kind of uh, demonstration. So, you know, in many ways, it was my political awakening, I guess. And so maybe I need to thank Pauline Hansen that, you know, I'm now, on, that set me on the road to become a human rights activist instead of a corporate lawyer. Well, lucky, lucky for everyone, <laughs> I'm sure, who's come, who's come along your path. Um, is there anything you would like to say is like, whether it's a closing statement or an encouraging thought that you, that you sometimes have the, to help you go through, you see a lot of misery in, in, in your work. Um, what thought keeps you going and, and hopeful? I do see a lot of misery and it, you know, it, it can be tough, especially when we feel like we don't have that many wins. Um, but then I think what keeps me going is the fact that, you know, I will get a nice message, um, from someone on Manus or Nauru thanking me for my speech or my statement. And it really matters to them that there is someone who, who has their back and who is telling these stories. Um, and I think there's something that everyone can do. Anyone who, you know, is listening in and who cares about these issues, you know, there are people that you can visit in your local detention centre or even in the community um, who really need your support. You can get involved in, you know, writing to, calling um, your MPs and senators. And I know for a lot of people, they think, well, we've been doing this for so long. It hasn't had any effect, um, but we have to keep fighting the good fight. We can't give up on these people because, you know, they haven't given up. 
Um, and that means we have to sort of use that to make ourselves even more determined um, to do everything we can, uh, particularly to get people on Manus and Nauru out of those horrific conditions. Um, that That is very true. I'll just add, add on to that, that I have in the past questioned whether writing to MPs worked and they said, no, keep doing it because they need to know, the MPs need to know or they need to feel that they will lose the vote if they do not change their mind on, on these issues. And that's why we need to keep writing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we need to, to keep them under pressure. And they, they want us to think that. They want us to think that, you know, it doesn't matter and that we're not affected. But, you know, at the end of the day, we vote them in. They're using our taxpayer dollars um, to keep people in these miserable conditions. So we absolutely have a right to be telling them um, what are the things that are important to us and what we are you know, ashamed of as Australians and what, you know, we, what is unacceptable um, and that we want to live in a democratic country that respects basic human rights and doesn't just pay lip service to the Refugee Convention and then tramples um, all over people's rights in practice. Well, I, I think that's all we have time for today. And thank you so much, Elaine, for being with us today. Um, we've been speaking to Elaine Pearson, the Australia Director of Human Rights Watch. Thanks, Elaine. <laughs> Um, you've been listening to Refugee Radio. It's been a long time coming. Too long. Too long. It's been in the making a quarter century. But it's here now It's here now If by the time you hear this album I'm not here You'll know why Suffering too many tears To see how you die, I'm mean, annoying for years When we look around, nobody cares And the people that are living in fear The system needs to change right now Too much you talk about me, not great right now You know, see the bigger it's a deal right now After get up, people are not here right now Now I want it back Till I sever every single chain I will not relax Just constant attack Till my world looks like Montserrat Contact my comrades For combat was conscious rap When you say the truth They attack like a saber tooth Thinking clear they make you disappear Like you hate the fruit No need more Bowens We don't need more Rebors Weed or your Cohens They tell us about terrorism And tell us about terrorists Look up the definition And tell us what terror is Only know the definition If the television sell us If public enemy number one They treat me like Professor Griff, this album has been in the making a quarter century Born to bless the beat and rap over recorded melody I knew the truth since I was a small little boy I am a product of the system I was born to destroy You can't believe I saw them cheat people And they have to protect and them are lead people I'm innocent of system for the street people Can't believe them and lead people The system needs to change right now Too much you talk good of me not great right now Innocent the bigger it's a deal right now Right now, too much you that good of me, not real right now.
henchmen support the troops but won't mention Joe Clinton It's funny cause the rappers are posing as the gangsters While the government taking money as bonuses for bankers In life you learn to close your eyes and hold your tongue But together we will overcome, there's never been a chosen one Still trying to understand the land I stand on I probably die from cancer, a single friends fan No, never give up, I will never just quit I will never give in, I will never submit The reason that I came is bleeding from the veins of the people Cause we're equal, only freedom is the aim This album has been in the making a quarter century Born to bless the beat and rap over recorded melody I knew the truth since I was a small little boy I am a product of the system I was born to destroy They can't believe I saw them cheat people They have to protect and them are beat people I'm in the system for the street people Can't believe them are delayed people The system needs to change right now Too much youth are good on me not grave right now Acknowledge me, remember to honor me My pen and his honesty Defended equality, declared a republic And ended your monarchy Your corporate dictatorship pretends it's democracy I hold your bloodline accountable for every crime Adam Smith to Rothschild, it's all been a clever lie Two choices now, revolution or genocide But thanks to Rupert Murdoch, neither one will be televised This album has been in the making a quarter century Born to bless the beat and rap over recorded melody I knew the truth since I was a small little boy I am a product of the system I was born to destroy They can't believe I saw them cheat people And they have to protect and them are beat people I'm in the system for the street people Can't believe them are delayed people The system needs to change right now Too much youth are good on me not grave right now